I'd like to pray for all the moms here in just a moment. My name's Scott. I have the privilege of serving here as lead pastor. And um, I recognize today that uh, you're a mom in the room, and it's, it's hard work. And um, my daughter texted me last night and said, here's what we need to do for mom tomorrow. <laughs> and you don't always get a thanks from your kids, especially when they're little. You know, you don't, they don't tell you thank you. <laughs> they just hand you more trouble, and you're exhausted. And uh, I, I recognize that moms, you're all over the spectrum, but I also recognize that for a number of you, both female or male, uh, Mother's Day is not the greatest day. Um, I got to be honest with you, Mother's Day, I don't like Mother's Day personally. I lost my mom when I was 16, and uh, I miss my mom more today than when I lost her. And I felt really impressed to tell you this story, and I'll try my best to make it through without breaking down. I'll do, I'll do my best, I promise, but I'm not going to guarantee. Uh, it's hard when you've lost somebody that you love. I was, uh, this was a few years ago, my wife and daughter were coming back from a trip. We lived up near the Chicago area, and I was at the Chicago O'Hare International Airport to pick them up, about an hour drive from our house, and I'd driven up there, and it was, they were coming in at about a 12.30 in the morning flight, so I had to be there early, and I was standing outside. If you've been to O'Hare, you know you stand out by the baggage claim, and then you have to come through that gate that's, that's secure, and you can't go the other way. And so I'm standing there, and I'm watching all these people uh, come through the gates, and I'm seeing all these reunions take place. And I, I, for whatever reason, I started to think about my mom. And I, I wondered, because I don't, I don't know, it's not my pay grade to, to tell you what happens in heaven. I don't um, you know, we have, we have hints and signposts that point us in the direction of what we can see and understand. We know it's glorious. But I wondered, I thought, I thought, I wonder if the anticipation I feel right now at this moment, waiting for my beloved daughter and wife to walk through the gate, I wonder if anticipation is the flavor of heaven. So if you've lost somebody and they're with the Lord, I just want, I want to, I felt impressed to comfort you. That's why I told you it'd be hard for me to get through this today. And um, I wonder if I could comfort you with that word, uh, that this is not it. There's the anticipation and the hope and the longing of heaven to come. So I hope that could comfort your heart. So would you pray with me? Because I need it. (laughs) And uh, we'll move on. Lord, thank you. Thank you for our moms. Lord, we're grateful for what they've done for us. Thank you for the moms in the room. Pray your blessing on them. Uh, physical, cur- physical strength for young moms and emotional strength for moms of teenagers and mental and emotional strength for moms of grown children. Pray you give them that strength. Thank you for them. We, we bless them for what they've done for us. And Lord, I pray for the person who's struggling uh, either in the room, watching online today, uh, that's feeling the pain of this moment, that you'd fill their hearts, even right now, with the, the anticipation of heaven, with the hope of the resurrection. Thank you uh, that we're resurrection people. This is not it. <laughs> we rejoice in that today. We pray this in your name, and we thank you. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to stand with me, if you would. We read together aloud the, the words of uh, Scripture each Sunday, and we stand out of reverence for God's Word. We're in a series uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount, 
and we're in maybe the worst possible section you could be on Mother's Day, but we're in it anyway because we're going right in order, and it'll be on the screen. These are the words of Jesus to us. Matthew chapter 5. It has been said, Jesus uh, said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. Well, thank you for indulging me there. Um, We're in a series uh, called The Heart of Christianity, and the heart of Christianity is the person of Jesus, and so what we're doing is we're going right to the heart of the message of Jesus, which is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount, and we're working our way through the message of Jesus that comes from the person of Jesus, but you need to understand that the, the person of Jesus and the message of Jesus is aimed at your heart. And so the heart of Christianity is aimed at you and your life and your circumstances. And so today we're going to look at one of the more challenging things that Jesus says. And I'm just going to give it to you as straight as I know how. Now, I, I, I want to tell you how bad this is going to be. <laughs> I know you're like, wow, I really want to walk in and hear something awful today. Um, I, I, just want to, I just want to make sure uh, I, I, I won't tie this up with a bow because Jesus doesn't tie this up with a bow. You're probably going to walk out with as many questions as you walked in, Um, but I I need to kind of explain the level of heat that we are going to experience today, just so we're all on the same page, okay? Um, Have you ever been to a a, a restaurant? I love ethnic foods of all kinds, and I love going to a Thai restaurant or an Indian restaurant, and invariably, they don't tend to do this at Mexican restaurants, but they'll say, you know, you want this dish, and they'll say, what level of heat do you want? And then I'll say, well, what is the scale? You know, and it's, you know, one to 10 or one to five. And I always pick somewhere middle, lower, because I can't handle it. But they they want you to know what to expect when you're walking in. And I just want you to know the level of heat that you can expect. It's kind of like a jalapeno pepper, do you know how you can take a jalapeno pepper and you can comfort yourself in the fact that you can eat something hot by cutting out a little section in the middle with none of the seeds and none of the insides and you can bite it and you just get like this tinge of heat and you can go, mm, yeah, okay. I'm not talking about that today. Um, the words of Jesus would kind of be like taking the whole jalapeno and eating it in one bite. Has anyone ever done, is anyone like that? You, you, okay. Uh, there's a couple of you. So today we're going to talk about the whole thing. I promise, I promise, this is shocking. I promise that it's hard. I promise that there's a level of, of uncomfortableness that you and I are going to feel. And so I, here's what I I want to make an ask, okay? Don't leave. <laughs> you're going to, somewhere in there, you're going to be like, let's go, get your purse, we're out. Uh, I promise the best part is at the end, the most helpful part is at the end. I wish this was the message that Jesus could deliver, so then Jesus could deliver this message, and then I could come back up here next Sunday and go, man, Jesus was intense, right? Let's not invite Jesus back. (laughs) He's way too intense. Uh, so, uh, I, I, I just wanted to give that kind of disclaimer. And I, I've just also, I, whenever there's credit due, I've, I, I heard someone do a message on this. It was, the outline was so powerful. I thought, man, I can't improve on that. So I'm borrowing that outline. I always want to give credit where credit's due. 
Well, we kind of start off uh, unrealistic with marriage, don't we? I've got a picture here of Andrea and I on our wedding day. We're in our 25th year. Um, don't we just look so perfect, like all the hair, right? I just, that's what I feel. Uh, you, you, know how your, you know how your wedding day is? Remember your wedding day? Some of you, that was a long, long time ago. It's this perfect day. You smell nice. You look right. Uh, you're clean. Um, it, it's kind of like two perfect people go into the future thinking they're going to be perfect together forever. Ah, right? And we all know when some young couple gets married, we're like, just wait. You, you, don't, you don't see the later scenes. I got another picture of my wife and I. Um, with <laughs> Now, granted, this was Halloween, uh, but this is the dork my wife married right here. It's, it's me right here. I, I kind of wonder if, if, the, if the divorce rate would go down if you, instead of dressing up and looking perfect on a day, you, all, you had to go work a, a physical labor job, uh, sweat all night, not take a shower, get up in the morning smelling bad breath, roll out looking like you look in your sweats with your hair and walk down front in front of the pastor. And then the pastor's like, do you? And do you? And then people, some people would be like, nah, not so much. Thanks. You know, there'd be a little bit of that. Might, might, might lower the divorce rate. I'm just making this point to say what I know. On your wedding day, nobody is planning on divorce day. They're just not. Now, again, I got to give you the background. It's just a little bit, just feel the heat of the pepper here. So we need to understand the background to be able to hear what Jesus says to us because there's hope in it. There's grace in it. Uh, to understand a little bit better because the way we think about and, and practice divorce and marriage, this is a little bit of noise to it. For, for basically the first 300 years of Christianity, people, Christians especially, had virtually no problem with what Jesus teaches here in the Sermon on the Mount. And very frankly, the attractive, one of the more attractive things about Christianity in the first 300 years of its existence was, was specifically how Christians treated other people in the context of marriage. Now, you got to understand a little bit about the context of that day, and I know you're not going to be able to relate to this at all, but that was a day when women had no rights and people talked all the time about how there was unequal treatment of the sexes. I know that's not relevant to us because we don't deal with that today, right? We've solved that problem. Um, women had virtually no rights, and, and there were basically the two major groups of the day had different ways they would go at that. So Jesus is dealing with the Jewish people, and the rabbis had a whole, um, a whole way of interpreting the Old Testament law about marriage and divorce, all the way from one rabbi said, you listen, if, if your spouse burns your toast, you can divorce her. If you find another woman that strikes your fancy just a little bit more, you can just go to your, divor- your wife and say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and you are divorced. If you were a woman, marriage was your only shelter, and if your husband decided he was no longer pleased with you and would just put you out at the, uh, the teaching of those rabbis, you really didn't have many options. If you got divorced, your husband handed you a certificate of divorce, you really had four options. One, he could blame you for it, and then the the whole community could kill you by stoning you. 
Um, you could go live with a relative, but probably in an attitude and demeanor of shame because you've brought shame on their family and they probably would let you know it for the rest of your life. You could go become a prostitute or you could go beg because no, one, no man was going to have you. And if you did get remarried, um, if anyone would have you, they probably would let you know for the rest of your life that they took you as damaged goods. Then at the same time, while the the Jewish practice of divorce had that kind of flavor to it, the Romans had a totally different view um, that was probably just as destructive. Um, If you uh, were a man, you had all of the power. If you were a woman, you had none of the power. And especially if you were wealthy, you just did whatever you pleased. Uh, You saw women as completely disposable and there for your pleasure. We talked about lust last week, and and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 even quotes a famous saying that that was prominent among Roman people. It's just the cultural acceptance about how you would do whatever you wanted in in terms of sexuality. Uh, The stomach for food and the food for stomach. In other words, you know when you feel it. Women were basically and completely... Uh, just disposable. You had, you had no rights. You had no dignity. You had nothing. And so in contrast, here were these people who followed this, this carpenter out of Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth, and they had a totally different take on it. They heard the words of Jesus, and they took it to heart. And, and so in contrast to the Jews, they said, well, listen, marriage is a reflection of the nature of God, and so it's permanent. And then in contrast to the pagans, the Romans, they said, well, no, every individual has dignity because they're made in the image of God and there's neither male nor female in Christ. Now we're the same. We have the same dignity. And so their relationships were characterized by kindness and equality. And and the pagans, the Romans, they just would look at the Christians and they would say, man, how do they do it? They stay married forever. My wife and I, uh, on our 24th wedding anniversary, we're, uh, we took a trip and we were eating at this restaurant and in this place we went and this lady said, wow, why are you here? We said, oh, it's our anniversary. And she said, oh, wow, wow, okay. And she said, well, how long have you been married? And she, uh, we said, well, we've been married 24 years. She said, wow, how did you guys do it? <laughs> I mean, it was just that it was obvious to her that her understanding was that you, you didn't do that. M- marriage was not something purposeful. So the early Christians, they had zero problems with Jesus' teaching because it, it, it literally changed an entire society. And so they said, we're going to eat the whole pepper. Now, what happened after about 300 years is that Christianity became the state religion and it became popular and it became acceptable to be a Christian. You didn't risk your life by being a Christian. And so kind of what happens today is people would go find the best church and they would join it and it became like a network for their business and a way to look respectable. And so they started to do what you and I do. Um, It's the junior high problem that all of us have and the junior high problem that all of us have is, can I do this and still be okay with God? It's a, how close can I get to the line without going over the line? Like, tell me what I can do. And we, you and I, we started looking for loopholes for divorce. Now, again, the hot pepper. You got it here. Jesus' disciples, and we're going to look at Matthew 19 where Jesus expounds on this a little bit in just a second. After they heard Jesus teach on 
on marriage, and I just, I'm, tell, I'm, trying, I'm trying to be honest with you, tell you how bad it is, their, their response was, we'll put it on the screen for you, Matthew 19.10, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. So if you at the end of the message today are like, man, <laughs> uh, that's your reaction, then you got it, okay? So that's, that's how hot it's going to be. But why, why is it so important that you and I pay attention to what Jesus said? Now, if we can hold on to the truth of what Jesus is saying without running from it, I, I hope that you and I can discover something so powerful about marriage. It might save yours. If not yours, it might save your kids. I, I, this is my take. I'm not sure marriage is in trouble because people in Hollywood portray divorce on a screen. I'm not, I'm not sure that's the reason. I know we like to throw stones that direction. Well, you know this and that. I think marriage might be in trouble because Christians gave up a long time ago on what Jesus said because, I mean, it's too hard. It's not practical. Now, don't leave. Now, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he, he tells us, he says, listen, um, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Not, not unlike us, you know, a legal arrangement, piece of paper. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, the, the word there he uses is not the word he uses for adultery that we talked about last week. Um, it, it's, the, it's the word porneia, porneia. Do you see the word that we use today that comes out of this word? Yes, I don't have to explain it to you, I don't think. And it's a, a kind of a bucket term that meant just sexual misconduct, um, sexual. So Jesus is not saying like there's one instance, it's like this kind of bucket term. And he says, if, if, you, if, you, uh, if you divorce your wife, except for that porneia, then what you're doing is you're making her a victim of your crime. And so there's a woman whose husband, so this is how people would have heard this. They would have said, okay, so Jesus, you're saying, there's a woman and her husband commits adultery. And she goes and marries somebody else. It wasn't her fault. And the man who marries her, he's committing adultery? Jesus, you don't understand. You have to be married to commit adultery. And I think what Jesus is saying is, listen, I think there's something about marriage and the nature of marriage that you don't understand. Now, we're going to fast forward to Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus talks about this in more detail, and the, the Pharisees, at this point in their relationship with Jesus, are trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to, they're trying to expose, you know, that Jesus is obviously someone they can dismiss, and, and they're trying everything they can to trap him, and, and they use divorce, they use this subject um, that they had clear old teaching on in the Old Testament as a way to trap Jesus, and they're basically coming to Jesus, and they're asking Jesus the question that you and I are wrestling with today, well, when is it okay to divorce somebody? Jesus, we'd like the specifics, and they're looking to trap him. And so this is what Jesus says in Matthew 19. Some of the Pharisees came to test him, and they asked, you know, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? They're, you know, can you burn the toast, and uh, it doesn't look good, you know, whatever. Jesus, can we do that? And then Jesus replies this way. He says, haven't you read? He's referencing here the Old Testament. He replied, in other words, you've missed it, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, in other words, Jesus is saying, do you not know the pattern? Are you not aware of what the pattern is? I, when I was uh, in about the fourth and fifth grade, uh, my mom, uh, she loved to make clothes. And I know that some women, 
some of you do that. I know there's some men. You know, I'm not being sexist. More power to you. Um, but, but my mom loved to make clothes, and, and so she would drag me uh, along with her to the fabric store. Now, listen, um, this is pre-cell phone, and this is pre-anything, and so I would be drugged to the fabric store. When you're a nine-year-old boy, there is nothing to do at the fabrics. I mean, nothing, right? And so my mom would go, and I would just wander around the buttons, you know, and, 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 and there my mom would, and I would, she had these, these big file cabinets, and she would you'd be flipping through these things, and she would get out these, pat, these patterns. She'd buy this pattern, and then she would go home, and she would take the pattern out, and then she would lay out her fabric, those of you who do this, you know, and she would trace out that pattern, and then she would cut it out, and then she would sew it. That ended up as a pair of terrible shorts that I had to wear in seventh grade. <laughs> That's a whole other story, okay? But when my mom wasn't sure what she was doing and what it was supposed to look like in the end, you know what she would do? She would always go back and look at the pattern. Uh, The pattern unfailingly told her what it was supposed to look like. Now, fast forward a bit. I was in, and I, now they call it something different, but then it was called home ec, and you had to do a, you know, bake a cake one time, and you had to make something another time, and then one, one uh, section of that class in seventh grade was we had to make a t-shirt, and, and I had a pattern, but I promise you what came out of, I got a D, this is so, you know how that went, it, it was awful, right, like one arm, you could barely get the arm through, and now the fact that I messed up did not change that the pattern was still the pattern. Are you, are you tracking with me here? This is what Jesus is saying. Haven't you read? This is how it was at the beginning. And, and the Pharisees basically dismiss Jesus, and they go, Jesus, thanks for the history lesson, but you know, we want to know what the circumstances are, because that's what you and I do. We're like, what are the circumstances? Jesus, you don't understand what I went through. Like, he did this, or she said that, and then that happened, and so Jesus, what I did in my divorce, that was justified, and we're looking for the loophole, and Jesus is always saying, okay, well, let me take you back to the beginning, to the first marriage, to the pattern. And here he says it in Matthew 19, 5. He says, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This beautiful, beautiful picture. You're going to come together physically, financially, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and you're going to become one. (laughs) And he's asking the Pharisees, okay, well, if the pattern was you would you would meet someone and you would marry them and you would together become one. You're one whole thing. How, Jesus, how, Pharisees, can one thing become two? How can you cut the pattern in two and still have a whole pattern? And so here, that's what he says. So they are no longer two but one flesh. They're, and that's that, those famous words from the marriage ceremony. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Don't try to cut in two what God has joined together into one. Now, that's a lot of tension, right? I mean, you can cut it. in the. If those of you online, you could cut the tension in here with a knife right now. It's like... So then this, this, is, what the, this is what the Pharisees say. We'll say, well why, well, why Jesus, then, they asked, did Moses, and notice their choice of words, command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? In other words, like, Jesus, it's a rule. I don't think you understand, Jesus. It's a rule. Moses who gave us the law, he, he gave us the rule and said it's a command. And Jesus, this is what Jesus says. 
Moses, not commanded, permitted you to divorce your wives. Here's the reason. Because your hearts were hard. In other words, Jesus was saying, listen, Moses was doing what a husband is supposed to do, which is protect his wife. And guys, you haven't done that. Now, I, I, one of the resources that we gave you through this series is a book by, called The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. His, his understanding and interpretation of this whole passage is just absolutely masterful. And, and Dallas Willard's wise beyond my years, who I'll ever, never be that wise. But he said, listen, in, in no way is Jesus rescinding the fact that one of the reasons, the legitimate reasons to get divorced is just frank human meanness. It's the, it's the harshness and the abuse and the difficulty and the pain that gets threaded into another human life in the context of a marriage relationship in all kinds of ways, shapes, forms, and fashions. And, and in no way, Dallas Word says, is Jesus rescinding that that's, that's not a valid reason to get divorced. He's just saying, listen, divorce was a concession to deal with our failure, and we think, okay, we can cut the paper in two, I mean, cut the thing in two, but, but I got the piece of paper that says that it's okay, and Jesus is trying to say, well, that's not, that's not, verse eight, but it was not this way from the beginning. Again, the pattern. I tell you, and he repeats the same thing he says in Matthew five, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for, again, pornea, marries another woman, commits adultery. The, the piece of paper doesn't cut you in two. Can you see why the disciples said, well, Jesus, well, then it's better not to get married. And some of you are like, what in the world is going on right now? Now, how are you? Don't leave. You, you got you to gotta hear Jesus in the, the entirety of his ministry and how he treated people and interacted with people and always filter what you hear Jesus say through that. And, and this is the same Jesus who in John chapter 8, when a woman who is caught in adultery is brought to Jesus, notice that the man's not there conveniently. And, and, and the woman is, is about to be stoned for what she's done. And I put it on the screen for you. I thought it was so important. You might want to memorize this. Jesus says to her, he says, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Now notice what Jesus says. This is the, this is the scope of Jesus then neither do I condemn you. You have to let that sink into your soul. This, the Jesus who says this about divorce is the Jesus who does this for a person who's in obvious sin. He's full, John says, of grace and truth. And when you get grace and we get truth together, it's medicine. Most often when we've talked about divorce, we've just given people truth. And when you give people just truth without grace, it's just mean but when you give people the truth with grace and love and the non-condemning love of Jesus, you get medicine that actually brings healing because Jesus is about healing taking place in your life. And so maybe if you're wrestling, and I understand, I get it, I, I, I know many of your stories. Maybe this begins to give you some language for what you've experienced and you've been married for the second or the third or the fourth time. You know, Right? that the stuff from your first marriage always shows up. I mean, the stats tell you that the divorce rate goes up in, for every additional marriage. I'm not meaning that as a hopeless statement. I'm just saying that's just an illustration of what Jesus is saying is like you have the piece of paper, but you don't, there's a reality that you take with you. 
Now, I, we got some, I got some questions, right? I hear this, and I, again, I'm, I'm trying to take Jesus at face value and, and, and you know, that 300, first 300 years changed society, but here, here you and I are in, you know, divorce culture, America. I, I, does that mean that someone who has gotten remarried a second or third or fourth time, does that mean that they are living in a perpetual state of adultery? Is that, is that what's going on? I know some of you are, you're thinking like, hey, uh, you got married for a second or third time and you're looking for a way out and you're hearing this today and you're like, out, <laughs> like, see ya, honey. I got a verse and a sermon. No, 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 no. Not so fast. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he says, listen, he's talking to people in all different states of marriage and remarriage and he says, listen, whatever state you are in right now, stay there. So where, where then do I stand in relation to God if I've been divorced and remarried? And what if it wasn't my fault? And what if, you know, what, where am I? How does God see me? I just, I just want you to know that all of us stand in the same place before God. You stand with the rest of us. Remember we talked last week about lust and adultery and we said there's adultery and then there's, there's lust, which is, you know, committing adultery in your mind and heart. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, don't, don't separate those two things. Uh, well, where do you stand? You stand with all the rest of us adulterers in need of the grace of God. And, and if Jesus doesn't condemn you for that, and it's not like, well, that's the one that leaves you out, and you're out, and you're not included anymore. If Jesus doesn't condemn you, then the church doesn't condemn you because the church is the representative. We're the body of Christ. We're the representative of Jesus on earth. And wh- how do you stand in relation to God? You stand needing the grace of God like all the rest of us do. So what do you do? I've got three things for you, and, and um, again, I'm, I'm not promising this will tie up bows, and, and this is probably going to be like, I'm mad at that guy for having that sermon. Uh, my mom made me come to church, and I had to listen to that, and I'm mad about it. Um, okay, I, I can handle it. Three things. Number one, you've got to embrace. You've got to embrace the, what Jesus says about this and say, basically, listen, Jesus, you're right about the issue. And I'm, I'm going to embrace what you say, regardless of what I have ex- personally experienced about the nature of marriage, that it's a man and it's a woman and it's for a life. That's what you meant. That's the pattern. And even though my shirt that has one armhole that's all messed up doesn't change the pattern, I'm not going to redefine the pattern based on my experience. And, and, and I'm not going to dodge it. And I, I recognize I can't cut in two what you've made one. But listen, isn't that how everything happens in the Christian life? Like you become a Christian when you realize your need, you see, you became a Christian. You didn't, real, you didn't go, oh, you know what? I'm just a mistaker. I make mistakes sometimes. No, you recognized I'm a sinner and I need the grace of God. And I can't earn a gift because it's a gift. That's what salvation is. It's a gift. And, and you only found the grace of God when you recognize the truth of what Jesus said about your life. Like, my life was a mess. And yes, Jesus, you're right about that. I need what you have. And so you don't dodge the truth. You move toward the truth because in the truth is your freedom. And, and here's, here's the irony of it if you're taking notes. Grace is only ever experienced by people who know they need it, right? If you don't think you need grace, you'll never get grace because you don't think you need it. So you've got to embrace what Jesus says here, even with all of the complexity of your life. Second is, is you and I have to confess where we have failed, where we have sinned, where we didn't know better. Some, some of you, I, you're remarried and it has nothing to do with you. You tried your best, you did everything you knew to do, and it just did not work. 
and, and you're not here today for that, and you're thinking, oh, I wish I could. You're still replaying, what if I'd done this, and what if I'd said that, and what if I'd tried this, and what if I'd done that instead, and why you're still kicking yourself for the mistakes that you made, that you brought into the, the situation. But some of you, on the other hand, you, you knew better and you did it anyway. You're like, I, don't, I really shouldn't be getting married right now, but I'm, I'm gonna, I want to, and I'm gonna. And, and you had your heart telling you and your parents telling you and your friends telling you and your con- conscience telling you and you just, you just did it anyway and you've, you've blamed everybody but yourself for what you're going through and you've never owned the fact that you made this decision and you've, so you've never experienced God's grace in your marriage and, and maybe what you need to do is you need to go to your spouse and say, listen, here's, here's where we are and I'm sorry that I did that but I'm, I'm here now. I'm, here, I'm drawing on the grace of God and I'm, I'm here now with you and I'm not going anywhere. And then the third thing is, is you and I have to ask. And, and I've got something. Um, I, you have to ask for, I'm just going to call it second marriage grace. Now you may go, what is second marriage grace? I've never heard of second marriage grace. That's because I made it up. <laughs> what, what's grace? Grace is what fills the gap between our broken and sinful and rebellious experience and our shame-filled experience and God. It's, it's the grace of God that fills the gap. And, and you, you know there's a gap, right? I mean, if you're honest, you, you know there's a gap. Will, will God answer, please, for second marriage grace? Well, the Bible is full of stories of people in need of God's grace. Maybe the most famous story in the scriptures of someone who completely got it wrong and completely did the worst thing and God brought the most beautiful possible thing out of that train wreck of a situation is the story of David and Bathsheba, maybe the most affair in the history of affairs. And, and out of their relationship, which is wrong on all accounts, um, came Solomon. And now if you know the line of Jesus, if you, read, if you were to go back to Matthew chapter 1 and read the genealogy of Jesus and read through all the names that there in Matthew chapter 1, you would find out that Jesus comes from the line of David and Bathsheba and Solomon. What does that say? That out of your mess, God can bring salvation. God can redeem a second marriage. God can redeem a third marriage. God can redeem redeem a fourth marriage. The grace of God is for you. Now, if you're single or uh, and, and you've been married, I'm, you need you need some kind of sustaining grace, and you've got to learn to rely on God's sustaining grace. And, and frankly, I don't think that you're ready to marry until you're okay being single. And so maybe it just happened, or it happened a little while ago, and you need to take several years, and you need to get yourself right. I I have a frequent conversation. If you come to me and you're struggling with your marriage, I'm gonna I'll just tell you right now what I'm gonna tell you. I'll say, well, you know what? You're, you're going through this and, and, and this thing has happened and, and you can't control what your spouse did or wants to do. And, and in five years, you're still going to be five years down the road. So tell me, what kind of person do you want to be in five years? Why don't you just start working on that right now because you're going to get there any way you look at it. Do you want to end five years more bitter than you are right now or do you want to end five years because some of your problem might be what you brought into it and you just decided to never grow. Well, this is your moment to start growing. 
And so maybe if you're single, you need to find the love of God for you and receive the, the healing love of God for you. And you need to find freedom from all of that junk that you've, you've carried around and been hurt by and hurt people with. And, and once you're there, then maybe God brings someone into your life and you're ready for that. Well, this is going to seem a little, again, we're Mother's Day, and I'm just throwing it all out there because uh, we're just going to do everything all in one fell swoop today. Um, I, we, we th- we're talking about this, this today, and we thought, okay, we don't want this to be so heavy. It's such a heavy, such a heavy teaching that Jesus gives here about the nature of divorce and marriage, and, and what do we need to do with that? And, and I said, well, what if at the end of the service, um, we just had a way of saying to people, we want you to be in on marriage, so what if we just had all of the couples in the room repeat their vows to each other again, collectively. <laughs> and so that's what we're going to do. So um, here's what I'm going to ask. If you're with your spouse, um, I, I want you to, because you, on your wedding day, you stood up and everybody looked at you. So this is no different, right? Uh, whatever age, however long you've been married, um, I want to invite you to stand up and face each other. And I'm going to take you through a very short version of the, uh, the marriage ceremony. Are you ready? Here we go. Ready? Dearly beloved, we've come together in the presence of God to witness and bless the renewal of this man and this woman in holy matrimony. The bonded covenant of marriage was established by God in the time of man's innocence. And our Lord Jesus Christ ordained this way of life by his presence and first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It signifies to us the mystery of the union between Christ and his church, and Holy Scripture commends it to be honored among all people. The union of husband and wife in heart, body, and mind is intended by God for their mutual joy, for the help and comfort given one another in prosperity and adversity, and when it is God's will for the procreation of children. I know some of you are thinking, dear God, no. And their nurture in the knowledge and love of the Lord. Therefore, marriage is not to be entered into unadvisedly or lightly, but reverently, deliberately, and in accordance with the purposes for which it was instituted by God. Now, since it is your desire to be joined together in this holy bond, we signify that by facing each other in the joining of your hands. And to all of you husbands, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife to live together in the holiest state of matrimony? Will you love, honor, comfort, and cherish her from this day forward, forsaking all others, keeping yourself only unto her for as long as you both shall live? If so, answer, I do. To the wives, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband to live together in the holiest state of matrimony? Will you love, honor, comfort, and cherish him from this day forward, forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto him for as long as you both shall live. If so, answer, I do. Now, if the, uh, if the husbands would please repeat after me, I take you to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. And wise, if you would repeat after me, I take you to be my lawfully wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part.
And now, by the power vested in me, I pronounce you once again, husband and wife, you may kiss your spouse. Yeah. <laughs>